0: Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So Psalm 95, boy, there are a series of let us statements. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. Let us come before His presence let us kneel before the Lord. And that's why Psalm 95 is known as the salad psalm, because it's filled with lettuce. <laughs> lettuce. But in all of these things, it really is a wonderful psalm, and it's kind of split in half. The first seven verses really are an encouragement and a call to worship the Lord. And then the last few verses, verses 8 through 11, are uh, just this warning against unbelief. So 1 through 7, a call to worship. 8 through 11, a warning against unbelief. The background to this psalm really is set to the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is awesome. It was a Jewish feast that would take place once a year in Jerusalem. And no matter where you lived in all of Israel, even outside of Israel, Boy, it's something that you would come, you would make that pilgrimage and journey to Jerusalem so you could enjoy this week-long feast full of festivities and food and decoration and all sorts of stuff. You'd connect with friends and family that you haven't seen. It really was a wonderful time. And so you'd get to Jerusalem and you would really camp out for the week. You would build booths, uh, tabernacles. Uh, That's why it's called the the Feast of Tabernacles. You'd build these temporary forts or structures. And and really, it was just a great week of celebration and and worshiping the Lord. Now, the reason that they had this feast, the reason for their gathering, that they commemorated God's faithfulness in the wilderness wanderings. Remember, for 400 years, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, and then the Lord delivered them from that. Then there was the 40 years in the wilderness, and then they entered into the promised land. But for those 40 years in the wilderness, and the Lord really provided for them supernaturally. He, he, he gave them the pillar of fire by night to give them light and to give them warmth. He gave them the pillar of smoke by day to shade them from the, the sun, which I love, you guys know, I the sun. Uh, we went on a, a trip Uh, motorcycle riding trip here this last week and and man I was constantly having to put on sunscreen the guys were making fun of me the whole time but uh, you know shade by by day every morning when they woke up there was manna food for them to eat they just had to gather it up everywhere they went in the desert there was a rock that that followed them that produced uh, water their clothes never wore out their sandals never wore through Their enemies never had victory over them. The Lord provided for them. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, there was kind of like this threefold uh, commemoration, remembrance, celebration. And and they would look back, first of all, to God's faithfulness in the wilderness, and they would say, Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for that season in our past when you saw us through. Uh, Secondly, another layer to this feast was it was harvest time. And so they were not only rejoicing in what God had done in their past, but rejoicing in what the Lord was doing presently in their lives. Uh, it was, you know, an agrarian culture. They didn't have the, you know, uh, technology that we have today. They don't have, you know, the, the superior, the, the complicated, the complex irrigation systems, or the big combines, or, or any of the, the stuff that we enjoy in our age of agriculture. They They took the, you know, the plow and hooked it up to the oxen. They made their rows and they prayed for rain. And if it didn't rain, there was no Walmart. There was no Costco. And so they were grateful for the food that they had. Uh, Man, it was hard, but what a healthy place to be. When's the last time you just were like, Lord, thank you that my tomatoes grew. Thank you, Lord, that I have zucchini and crookneck squash. Maybe you guys aren't thankful for those anymore at this time of the year. Uh, But they would say, Lord, thank you. They recognized that every good and perfect gift came from the Lord, and that if he didn't show up, then their crops, you know if he didn't show up and bring rain, their crops would fail. And so they looked back with rejoicing at God's past faithfulness. They were celebrating the, the bounty of God's current blessing. But then they would also be looking forward To the day when Messiah would rule and reign. This whole thing, the Feast of Tabernacles, it will be celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, this, this time when Jesus comes back and he rules and reigns on this earth and all the wrongs, all the things that you look at and see on the news where you say, man, I hate that. I wish it wasn't so. All those things are gonna be taken care of. Jesus is gonna make all the wrongs right someday. This thousand year reign of peace and prosperity like we've never seen. Uh, we will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles then. And so there was this threefold type of celebration, looking back to God's past faithfulness, his current blessing, and with anticipation to the future with the Lord. Now, what an applicable uh, you know, feast for us. We can do the exact same thing here this morning. We can look back in our lives to God's past faithfulness. Lord, you've been so good. You've seen me through so many situations. We can rejoice this morning for God's current blessings in our lives. Hasn't the Lord been good to you? And he's been good to me. We ought to be those who are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude for God's goodness. And we know that Jesus is coming. When we flip on the news and we see everything flipped upside down, we don't have to get buried and lost in despair, but it encourages us because we can say, Lord, it might be crazy right now, but I know you're coming. Jesus, come quickly. Oh, we look forward with anticipation for our king to come and rescue us out of this mess and set all things right. And so uh, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was kind of the background. That is what was going on uh, for this psalm. That is the kind of the, the purpose or the occasion For psalm, Now, we don't know the author of this psalm. Uh, I believe the author is David. If you read through Hebrews 4, uh, you you can see that it's attributed to David. There's some argument. There are those that would say, no, it was written after David when the exiles were making their way back from Babylon. But, you know, there's all those little arguments in the scripture. What I love about this is that we can sidestep all those arguments. And it's fun to get lost in those things. Don't get me wrong. But scaling back this morning, it doesn't really matter who the human author is because we know who the author is. Of all scriptures is the Lord. And that's what 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, that all scriptures God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. What a wonderful thing that is, that, that no matter if it was written thousands of years ago, they could flip it open and they could be like, oh man, this is great. This is how I should live my life. To us today, it's just as applicable to us today as it was for them then. We can open up the scriptures and we can say, all right, what is going to shape your worldview? Is it going to be, you know, your friends or social media, uh, your education, or is it going to be the scriptures? Uh, What shapes uh, or where do you derive your code of of ethics? Where do we get our our moral conduct? How do we know what's right and wrong? We just, we can go by how we feel. We can go the Disney route and do just what feels good in our hearts. But that's going to get you in trouble 100% of the time. Or we could look to God's word. And when life gets flipped upside down, how do we know how to flip it right side up again? Scriptures tell us. That's the cool thing about the word. Uh, I love that for, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. And that's why the Lord calls us to study, to show ourselves approved, to, to rightly divide the word of truth to hide his word in our heart. It's super important. And I'm glad we're studying through his word this morning. But just because we don't know the author and we don't have to worry about it, we know God is the author and we know that it is just applicable for us today in 2023 as it was way back then, thousands and thousands of years ago. And I really like that. So uh, let's dive in. Verse one of chapter 95. It says, "Oh come, let us sing unto the Lord. "'Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation.'" Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hand formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And so, again, these first seven verses are really a call to praise. That's what they're gathering together to do at the Feast of Tabernacles, to praise the Lord, to thank the Lord, to enjoy with song and dance and and, and all the rest. And so the psalmist here really says, man, let's just get together. Let's sing. Let's shout. Let's bow down. Let's come into the Lord's presence with thanksgiving. But who is the psalmist speaking to? He says, let us, not let us, not, not the bunch of green tasteless stuff that you pour ranch dressing all over. No, let us, us, who's us? The church, the, his chosen people. Let us, those who've been born again, those who belong to the Lord, let us do what? Boy, let us corporately is the, the key here. This is uh, speaking to the corporate gathering together. That's why it's important that we do what we do. Can you praise the Lord on your own? You bet, I do it all the time when I'm driving around in my car. But there's something special that happens when we gather together as a group of people and put our focus and attention on the Lord and sing out together. But so let us, all of us, sing unto the Lord. So, so many times people say, oh man, I would sing out in church, but I just, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I I, I can't, here's the thing. Singing is just like talking, only louder and longer, and you make your voice go up and down. There really is, is no difference. And so we say, oh, you know, I'm self-conscious, and and I'm not that good of a singer, and and all the rest. Here's the thing. It's a joyful noise unto the Lord. You bring the Lord your best, and and he's blessed by it. You know, those of us who have children, you remember when they were small? And they would bring you a picture. They would just draw you a picture. And they would bring you that picture, and they would present it. And you would look at that picture, and you would be like, wow. Thank you, buddy, for the picture of this, this scene here where you've got these things that kind of look like people, but I'm not sure if they're animals or people, and you couldn't even tell what it was. And they say, oh no, Dad, you know, that's SpongeBob and Patrick and me and you hanging out at the park, oh, of course it is. But you don't take that picture and be like, wow, you know what, this composition is all off. The shading, the perspective, crinkle it up and throw it away. Now what do you do? You take it and you, just, you give them a hug, you take it to the fridge and you put it up there, and it's there, there's stacks of them on my fridge. That's what the Lord does with us. He didn't take our worship and be like, man, you were off key there. I'm sorry. We're just going to have to throw that out. No, He's like, oh, he takes it and puts it on his fridge and says, man, that's, that makes my heart glad because you're coming to me and surrender and joyful worship. So sing out unto the Lord. That's what it means to sing. What does it mean to shout? To, to sing to the Lord and to shout joyfully? Man, when I, I first read through this, you know, shout. Shout to me is not linked to joyfulness most of the time, if I'm honest. When I shout, it's because I'm shouting at my dog or my kids or I've lost my time, I'm doing something that I shouldn't. But this is a joyful shout. What is it? We should shout joyfully. What does it mean to shout joyfully for the Lord? Think sporting event. Sporting event. Or whether it's F1 or football or baseball or hockey, whatever your thing is, you go to a sporting event and people are just coming unglued. I remember the, the first like, soccer game that I watched, like Major League Soccer. We had an intern who was just, he loved soccer. And he's always like, you guys got to watch a soccer game. I'm like, oh, of all the things I don't want to do, watching a soccer game is pretty high on the list. But he's like, it's the World Cup, you got to go. So we went up to B-dubs and, and we went in and every single screen had the game on it. People were decked out in their colors. And it's back and forth. And back and forth. And I'm going, what is the deal with soccer, man? And then, let me tell you what. Then somebody made a goal. Boom! The place come unglued. People were shouting for joy and jumping up and down. And and I just like, I'm like, yeah. I didn't even know what was going on. I was just so glad that something (laughs) happened that I'm like, yes! And then I actually enjoyed soccer. I watched some soccer. It's pretty fun, if you know. But see, people came unglued because... One dude kicked a little ball past another dude into a net. Man, our cause for rejoicing is so much greater than that, isn't it? And God has taken us from death to life. And sometimes I wonder, do we really believe it? If people were to evaluate what we believe based on the way we worship, to would be like, really? You believe that you are saved from death and that's the way you thank God? And I'm not trying to say, I'm preaching to me. I'm not trying to say that we need to be somebody that we aren't. or that I'm just saying it's interesting that when we look at the world, where they come unglued for the things that they're joyful for. We've been delivered from death. I don't know. I think that there's something that we can learn. Now, don't show up to church next week painted in half green, half blue, with the foam finger. And, but I think there's a, a place for that. Now, there's also a place for the contemplative uh, just worship where we're just Overcome with awe and wonder, and we kneel before the Lord. And that really is what verse six uh, begins to, to speak of. Uh, there in verse six, it talks uh, there's a change of gears. It's no longer singing and shouting with joy. It's come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. And that is super important uh, as well that we would kneel before the Lord, that we would bow down. Before our Maker, there are times when it is appropriate to to be exuberant and to shout with joy, and then there's times when it's appropriate to be, you know, a little bit more contemplative, and uh, really just be in awe, uh, to be more reverent. Uh, But you know, as I thought about how how the church worships, and not just us—I mean, the church in general—you know, how often do we we bow down before the Lord also? How often do we take that posture of just submission? And that's really what it is. We're saying, Lord, I stand in awe. I'm submitted to you. I'm coming before you in humility. It's so important. It's hard to be filled with pride when you're on your knees. It really is. And that is an important aspect of our worship, that we would not only shout joyfully, but that also we would bow reverently in humility before the Lord. Why? And it's interesting, The psalm kind of lays out why we should worship, why we should praise the Lord. And in verse 4, it talks about God as the creator. Uh, In his hand over the deep places of the earth, the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This world that we enjoy, that we live in, it didn't just happen. There wasn't an explosion one day, and then all of a sudden, whoa, life. The Lord created it. And the interesting thing uh, about that and why that's important and why we worship the Lord as our creator because there's this inherent authority that the creator has over the created, isn't there? Like we are the created, you are the created. Just by default, uh, there is this sense of just uh, respect that we owe the one who created us. And God is the creator. Uh, the artistry and the, the beauty And just, it's amazing. It doesn't matter if you look at it microscopically. It just seems to keep going and you're like, wow, another layer and another layer. Beautifully working together in perfection. Or if you get the telescope uh, and you look out into what seems to be, you pick a spot in the sky that looks black. You start zooming it and you know what you find? Galaxy upon galaxy. And you're just like, wow. It's the Lord's artistry. That's what the Bible declares. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. It means when we look around, and we see the beauty of God's creation, the, the intricacy, the artistry, that it declares that there is a creator. Again, nobody would look at a Rolex watch and be like, oh, it just must have always been. Because it's made with precision. It's made with purpose. It's made with beauty. And no one looks at a building and says, oh, there must have been an explosion at a brick factory. Because chaos doesn't bring order. We go from order to disorder. That's just the way that the world works. That's the way God created it. There's never been a time when an explosion makes something beautiful and perfect and in in order. I've blown up a lot of stuff, you guys. I'm telling you what. And and never once have I blown something up. I'm like, wow, I blew up a chair and it turned into a countertop. You could take a ball of yarn and you can throw it up in the wind for a million years and it's never going to turn into a sweater. And this idea... That there was nothing, and then there was an explosion from nothing, and then there was life, and then from the ooze, it evolved, and then there was monkeys, and then we evolved. There's just no real evidence for that. We take fractions of bones, and we create a whole story around it, and, and even the way that science has said, you know what, and this earth is millions of years old through radiocarbon dating, Even in the secular scientific community, they're saying, well, wait a second, hold up, there's some serious flaws now in this dating. And I don't have time to get into it, but look into it, it really is interesting. Which brings us to the question, why then? Why do we hold on to this theory? Well, remember in the beginning when I said that there's this connection, uh, that there's this inherent authority that the the creation has over the, or that the creator has over the creation? See, what we do is we say, you know what, I don't like that as human kind. Uh, the main reason we subscribe to these sort of ideologies is because it absolves us from, the, from God's lordship over our lives. And uh, you say, well, why, why do we do that? Because we say, I want to be king over my life. And if there's no God, then I get to be king over my life and not feel bad about it. But we worship the Lord because he is the creator. I mean, at the base level. We're creation, he's creator. Man, we do what you say, we worship you. But not only is he just the creator, he's good. He, he, he's our Rock of our salvation. Man, he, he didn't just set things in motion and say good luck. He said, here's everything absolutely perfectly. It took us like 15 seconds to blow it. And then he said, well, you guys blew it, but now I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you from the destruction of your choices. He's our savior. He took our sin debt that we were born with. Now, there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are sinners destined for destruction. But he saved us from that. He came down to this earth from heaven, beautiful heaven, to this cesspool. And he lived a perfect life, tempted in every way that you have been tempted and me too, But without sin. And then as a substitute... He gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. That there was this transaction that took place whereby my sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to me. He said he's our savior and that is cause to worship the Lord. He's our creator and he's our savior. He's our shepherd. We are the the sheep Of his pasture and the people of his hand. Now, I don't know a lot about sheep, but I know that sheep aren't known for their wisdom or for their ferocity. Uh, Sheep are known for kind of wandering off and getting into trouble, for kind of being a pain in the butt. I think they're amazing, these giant like cotton ball things running around. And but I've never raised sheep. But but they're known for getting into trouble, for not being able to protect themselves. And that's what the Bible likens us to. I know it's not very flattering, but the Bible wasn't written to flatter us. It was written to shoot us straight. And we are those who are prone to wander off and get into trouble. We are those who don't have a lot of defense against the powers of darkness without our great shepherd, Jesus. But we have a great shepherd. He's the one who lays down, again, his life for us to defend us. He's the one who leads us He provides for us. He leads us beside still waters and into green pastures, blesses us. He protects us. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. The rod for beating back the enemy, but the staff, the crook on the end. But when I find myself is bumbling off into the brambles and oh, I'm stuck, Lord, again, He says, Come on, let me get you out of there. What a wonderful thing. That causes me to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. But also, not, not only is he the creator and our savior and our shepherd, he, he's our king. We talked about this on Wednesday night. How Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all authority. He is sovereign over this world. And in his wisdom for a time, he has allowed Satan to usurp his authority and be the ruler of this land. But his days are numbered. And if that's something that you wrestle with, why did God allow Satan to have any authority at all? Why did God allow Satan to even tempt Adam and Eve? Why is there wickedness in this world? And check out Wednesday night's teaching. We, we, we touched on it. I don't have time this morning. But know this. We can be encouraged even when we see the disastrous state our world is in because we know who the true king is. And we know that someday he's coming back and he's going to set things straight. But we worship and we pay him reverence because he is our king. And then lastly... Uh, like we spoke about last week. And there's such a blessing that comes along with praising and worshiping the Lord, isn't there? Well, we were created to do it. We were created for his good pleasure, to worship him, to honor him, to praise him. He doesn't need us to worship him. If we didn't, man, the rocks would cry out and the mountains would shout. But when we walk in what we were created to do, there is a built-in blessing that comes along with that. And there's the freedom like Paul and Silas experienced. There's the victory like Jehoshaphat experienced. There's the joy and the peace that comes with just belonging to the Lord in God's presence. Everything that you long for, everything that you desire is found in God's presence. Do you know that? What a wonderful thing that is. And you can try, and many men have, to fill that void in your life with every single thing that this world has to offer. But nothing compares to the presence of the Lord. And that's something that we, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, worshiping the Lord. What a wonderful thing it is. And so we bow down, we worship the Lord uh, because he's, he's good, because he's our creator, because he's our savior, because he's our shepherd and our king. And when we do, if we will, we experience the blessing that comes along with that. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we're very reserved Oftentimes, we don't kneel corporately. Oftentimes, we don't shout joyfully. Sometimes, we don't even sing. A lot of times, we can just come and have a a very, uh, you know, stoic, sort of comatose posture when it comes to worshiping the Lord. And and I understand, you know, there's uh, this desire to kind of stay in the lines, to not not step out of bounds, to to keep things uh, where they rightfully should be. Because there have been movements within the, the body of Christ where things have gotten out of hand. And the expression in worship has gone to an unhealthy and even an unbiblical place where people are just wigging out. We say, oh man, that is not right, that's not biblical, and that's true. But we err so far to the other side that that we're not even singing. We've gone and thrown the baby out with the bathwater and it's important that we find that balance, that we're not swinging from the chandeliers or rolling around on the floor and barking like dogs, but we're also not just hands in pockets. Like, man, we're worshiping the king of kings, the creator of all things, who died for us. It's Pretty important that we find that balance. But the reason, oftentimes, primarily, I would say, that we don't step out of our comfort zone is because we're afraid of what people might think about us. And if I raise my hand, if I'm singing out a key, if I'm like, how will that go? But that's a trap. So what Proverbs tells us is the fear of man is a snare. Who cares what people think about you? What difference does it make? And just worship the Lord because he is God and he is good. Don't let the fear of man trip you up and rip you off. And so this first half, boy, they're gathering together to worship the Lord. What an amazing thing. The second half now, 8 through 11, is uh, really... To remember, uh, or pardon me, to warn against unbelief. Now, remember the backdrop to this psalm. They're gathering together during the Feast of Tabernacles to remember God's faithfulness during the wilderness wanderings. Now, that journey from Egypt to Canaan, and you could play hopscotch all the way and get there in three months. How long did it take Israel? Forty years. By my estimation, there is something going on there. And that something was unbelief. And so you can't celebrate God's faithfulness concerning the wilderness wanderings without coming face to face with their own unfaithfulness. And so the voice changes here. It's no longer the psalmist encouraging, uh, giving us admonition. Now it's the the voice of God via the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't fall into the trap that they fell into. And their trap was unbelief. So verse eight says, uh, today, if you will hear his voice, 7b, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And so there's this warning to not be like the nation of Israel during their wilderness wanderings. And, and what really defined them in their wilderness wanderings? It was unbelief. It was disobedience. It, it was stubbornness. The Lord delivered them out of slavery. And at the first sign of trouble, where they oh, man, this is so bad. This is terrible in the wilderness. You brought us out here to die. It was so much better in Egypt where we had leeks and onions and taskmasters with whips and no food or freedom. No, it was terrible back in Egypt. What are you guys talking about? Quit whining. We're tired of the food you gave us. There's no water to drink. Moses is being a punk. You just on and on and on. And because they didn't believe the Lord, they missed out on what God had for them. A whole entire generation died in the wilderness because they didn't believe the Lord. They missed out on the promised land. They missed out on all God had for them. They allowed their hearts to become hardened. And it's a warning to us today. Don't allow your heart to become hardened. How does your heart become hardened? There's lots of ways. Through unforgiveness, through disobedience, through unbelief, through hurt. But be careful not to let your heart get hardened. See, when your heart gets hardened, it gets calloused. It gets seared. It's not sensitive anymore. You can't feel And you don't discern what's going on with the Lord anymore you can't hear from he causes this spiritual deafness and lack of sensitivity and Jesus boy well, he, he, he reprimanded really the disciples for having a hardness of heart. thereafter he fed the four thousand Jesus took seven loaves of bread and fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. If there was four thousand men, there was probably like sixteen thousand people there and after it was all said and done and there was leftovers to boot. The religious leaders of the day came up to Jesus and they're like, man, show us a sign. There's this argument between the religious leaders. You need to show us a sign. We're not gonna believe you, Jesus, that you're God unless you show us a sign. And so Jesus and the disciples, they got in the boat and they went across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, knowing that his witnesses this intera- the, the disciples witnessed this interaction between the religious leaders and himself, this is an opportunity I'm gonna teach these guys to be careful not to to fall into the same sin as the religious leaders, the sin of unbelief. And so they're getting into the boat and Jesus begins to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples are like, oh, dude, I forgot the bread. Did you grab the bread? Jesus is talking about leaven. He's going to be, we forgot the bread. Was it about the bread? No, Jesus just fed 16,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. If Jesus needs bread, man, he can make the bread. And so Jesus, he's cold and said, you guys, your hearts are hard. You're missing the point. And the psalmist here uses the example of the wilderness wanderings, Israel. There was so much evidence for the disciples and they missed it. For God's people in the wilderness, there was so much evidence. Why? They didn't enter into all God had for them because they didn't believe why didn't they believe? Now, I've talked to people who say, man, you know what? I'm glad for you that you found Jesus and God and all that and that you have faith. Uh, And I'll tell you what, if God made himself known to me, if God showed himself to me, then I would believe in God. And and I've heard people pitch this thing like it's, it's a lack of evidence that's holding them back from a relationship with Jesus. But just like the the people of Israel in the, the desert, there's no lack of evidence. Think of all the evidence that they had. Their shoes didn't wear out. For, don't you think after like 35 years, you're like, you know what? I haven't bought a pair of flip-flops in forever. What's going on? Every morning when you woke up and you're like, all right, we're having manna again. This is fantastic. And don't you think when you turned around, like that rock looks familiar. And it's giving us water in the, the wilderness again. All of these things, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire... There was ample evidence. It wasn't a lack of evidence. It was just a surplus of pride. It's that question, who's going to be on the throne of your life, like we talk about so often? And because they didn't believe, boy, they missed out on all God had for them. God has given us plenty of evidence as human beings. He's revealed himself through his creation, He's revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself through his son. He's given us his Holy Spirit. But see, there comes this point to where he's given us enough information, like he did with the Pharisees. But but in their pride, they say, Well, show us again. You prove yourself. There comes this point to where you're going to be blinded until you trust the Lord. He's given you enough information to walk on. We talked about it last week. And you come to this wall hard up against it where you're just not going to perceive anything else until you walk by faith and trust the Lord. In all that he is. And and that's really what's taking place. That's really what's on the line. And that's the question for us this morning. Will we yield ourselves? Or will we harden our hearts? That's the choice that that we have today. To, To surrender. To praise. To sing. To worship. To kneel. And to experience. To walk in all the Lord has For us, filled with joy, filled with freedom, filled with victory and blessing. Or we can continue to harden our hearts. The Lord will allow us to to have our hearts hardened, just like Pharaoh. He gave Pharaoh over to the hardness of his own heart because he didn't want God. And we need to be careful to not tread in those waters, to be numb to the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord is calling you this morning. The Lord desires to reach you. The Lord desires for you to have a relationship with him. Don't allow a hard heart because of unbelief or because of sin or any of those things. And confess your sin unto the Lord. And the Bible says when we do, man, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. Believe. Believe who Jesus is. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Don't let a hardened heart stand between you and what God has for you. The problem is sometimes we get into that place where our heart's are already hard. We've been calloused and we're crusty and we don't know exactly where to go from there. But I'm telling you right now that the Lord is ready to forgive like we've talked about so often, that he's there desiring restoration. It wasn't just a casual thing for God, like, ah, oh, maybe, you know, if they want it. He died so that we could be restored. He wants to forgive you this morning. So whether you have been walking with the Lord for 40 years and slowly but surely your heart has become calloused, confess that to the Lord, whatever it is. If it's a hurt, if it's unforgiveness, if it's unbelief, or if it's a sin that you've been struggling with, And you can confess that to the Lord this morning and be set free by the power of Jesus. Do that today and walk in all that God has for you. But maybe you have a hard heart and you've never put your faith or trust in Jesus at all. Again, he'll bring you to a certain place where you have enough evidence and you won't receive any more until you make that move. And if you want to see who God is truly, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said. How? Like I said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Really? That's it? Yeah, that's all you have to do. Jesus had the wrath of God poured out upon him. The hard work has already been done. That's the good news. So whether you've been walking with the Lord and you just need a a, a refreshment, you need the calluses removed, And do that business with the Lord this morning. Or if you just need to be born again. And don't leave this place without doing that work. And the table of communion is a perfect place for believers to come and say, Lord, and work this out as we remember the price that he paid for us. See, we come face to face with that on Sunday mornings when we hold those elements. It's not just a cracker and some juice. Man, we remember the body of Jesus that he was beaten and bound for our freedom. His blood was shed that the stain of our sin might be washed away completely, and rejoice in that this morning. Surrender to the Lord in that this morning. But if you don't know the Lord and you're here this morning, and communion isn't for you. The Bible says that we're not to eat and drink unworthily. And if you don't believe, then you're making a mockery of it. The best thing to do would be to surrender to the Lord and then enjoy communion. And that's what I would encourage you to do, to just get real, to get right that you saved today. But wherever, I just pray that we would all come before the Lord, that we would be those who say, I'm, I'm going to praise. I'm going to lift up a joyful noise. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to experience the blessing that comes along with it. Lord, guard us from a hardness of heart, our stubbornness, and our unbelief. And so, Lord, thank you so much that you know our frame. You know the things that we wrestle with. You know that we, we fall into the category of hardness of heart so easily Even as the disciples, they were with you in your presence, experiencing blessing and miracles, and still they had trouble with belief. And Lord, we fall into that same category. We believe only help our unbelief. But I pray this morning that as we come to the table, as we remember what you've done, Lord, that it would shore us up, that it would strengthen our faith, that we would be those again who walk in surrender and in joyful worship and praise. Lord, we confess the hardness of heart. We give it to you. And we believe, Lord, that by the power of Jesus, you can make our heart that was stone soft again. And so, Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the cross. We remember this morning and we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiuchristianfellowship.com.